Welcome to the Martins Kirk Podcast, a publication of sermons and lessons from Trinity Reformed Church of Martinsburg. Trinity Reformed exists to declare the victory of Jesus Christ through worship and practice to the ends of the earth. To learn more about our congregation, visit martinskirk.com. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, Help us to see Jesus in the Psalms this morning. Teach us to keep your words, to treasure your commands, to live and delight in your law. Bind the words on our fingers. Write them on our hearts by the power of the Spirit. For the sake of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning, I'm going to ask a lot of you. Uh, So if you could just try to focus and and think about all the things that have already happened in the service this morning. Uh, Think about Psalm 32 and what the blessed man is like. Think about the Old Testament reading. Um, Think about your confession of sin. Um, In Genesis, in the Old Testament reading, we have uh, a man that did not tend and keep the garden as intended when he met the serpent. Um, The man should have probably destroyed the serpent upon realizing there was one in the garden. But instead, the wife, the one that was there tending and keeping... Uh, used what the serpent was tricking her with. So there's this, this picture of the old man. And in the new covenant, we have a picture of the new man, right? In Romans, in the epistle reading today, we get that picture of what Jesus was, the antithesis of the old man, the one who came and did tend and keep the garden as he was supposed to. So if you could keep all of that in mind as we go through uh, this sermon text this morning, I want to get a bigger picture about what Psalm 128 has for us. Last week, we talked about Luke 1, verses 50, uh, Mary's Magnificat, and the declaration that God's mercy is on those who fear Him and keep His commandments from generation to generation. And we talked about applying that truth to the church universal and particularly to Trinity Reformed Church. What that means to be a generational, uh, to live generationally and live generationally in community with one another. This morning... I want to look at Psalm 128 to see what that blessed man, the Lord says uh, that he will bless the man who walks in his ways. We want to see what that man who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways, how he gets blessed. Psalm 128 says that we will see the good of Jerusalem all of our days and peace will be upon our children's children as we walk in the way of the Lord. This is a generational consequence that Psalm 128 is talking about. There are generational consequences to our worship and practice as individual people of God. Just like there is consequence to our worship and practice as a local body, which is what we talked about last week. So generational faithfulness is our blessing in Christ, but for ourselves, our families, and for the collective church. It has multiple facets. This, the first Sunday of Lent, as Peter mentioned, reminds us of the faithfulness of Christ and the blessings that came to the church to us from that faithfulness, from the faithfulness of Christ, enduring temptation, trial, sufferings, and eventually His death. The Scriptures teach us that by faith we can obey, and our faith will be blessed in the generations that come behind us. In Jesus, faithfulness is rewarded individually, domestically, and generationally. Psalm 128 shows us this blessing and shows us what these blessings look like for the man who fears God and walks in His ways. But before we look 
to the words uh, of the psalm for our theology and our practice, I want to make mention of the singing. This psalm, psalms, are meant to be sung. 128 is a song that we will sing after um, communion this morning. This is a song meant for a glorious occasion. If you look at the word, if you look at the words, it's meant. You might sing it when you when you have, have a new child welcomed into the family. You might sing it when you get a job or a promotion, or when you have a party at your house. You have all your friends together. You might sing this song. It's a song full of happiness and optimism, which uh, we want to affirm here at Trinity. A song we are meant to keep singing for the centuries as we praise the Lord. In Ephesians five and Colossians three. They both tell us to sing the psalms in the new world that we live today, right? Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. They are important for us and for our kids to know and sing what Christ has revealed to us. Christ came and revealed what is hidden, and this psalm helps us to understand what Jesus did. It's a song the people of God sing to praise their Lord for the blessings found in Christ. So one thing I want you to remember, it is a song, and we sing it. Another thing, the psalm, oftentimes, most of the psalms, if not all, have this call and response structure, right? This is why we have a responsive reading in the service. The fir- first line declares a truth, and the second line doubles down on that truth. The second line glorifies the first line. For instance, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, then added on in the next line, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, the second line glorifies the truth that you will eat from your labor. You shall be happy and it shall be well with you. It's a glorification of the previous line. This is the point of our call and response in our service. The head is calling out the truth to us and the bride glorifies it and sends it back. The husband brings to us the truth, and we as his collective bride say amen by glorifying it, by making it more. The men bring home the money, the goods, the supplies, and you wives take those things and you make them more glorious. This is the way of the world. They make them greater than what you supplied. I can bring home money and what my wife can do with it is glorious. So see that structure in your mind as we go through the psalm. And remember, we are to sing these words for eternity. This is the pattern of the church. So the text is as follows. If you follow along in your words of worship, it should be written there as well. Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. So this psalm has historically been connected with the previous psalm, Psalm 127. In both psalms, we see similar statements about the building of a house, wives, children, the victory over our enemies. But we see a glorification of these truths of the truth of Psalm 127 in Psalm 128. We see uh, a moving from glory to glory, if you will. Not only is the Lord building a house, as we sing in Psalm 127, but the building of the house has assured happiness and wellness for us in Psalm 128. The wife is a fruitful vine in the heart of the home, which is what Psalm 128 says. Not just our beloved, right? She's mentioned as beloved in 127. In 128, she's also 
the heart of the house. And not only are our children a heritage for the Lord and an arrow in the hand of a warrior, which is a great truth, but in Psalm 128, they are olive plants around our table and extend to our children's children. They go generationally. And lastly, you might note, if you're looking at these two psalms together, there's an enemy in Psalm 127 that you're shooting these arrows at. But in Psalm 128, peace has come upon Israel. It's the, it's the next glory. So one, Psalm 128 is the glory of generational faithfulness. It's the specifics to the general statement, blessed is everyone that fears the Lord and walks in His ways. This psalm gives you the thesis up top, and then down below gives you what the blessings look like. It explains what those blessings are. That first verse is the point the rest of the psalm is explaining. So we see what it means to be a blessed person, a blessed man, as we fear God and keep His commandments. Verse 2 says, if you're following, verse 2 says, the blessing will be that we will eat of our labor, we will be happy, and it will go well for us. Notice that labor is real work. It's, it's actually, you have to do something here. This is not a promise to make you wealthy without work. We don't just reap happiness and wellness uh, and blessing without the labor that comes before it. We work and we're rewarded for that labor. So the first blessing for the man who fears God and walks in his ways is receiving the result of the labor that he works and finding happiness and well-being from that labor. Then in verse 3, the blessing is a fruitful wife who is the heart of the home. She's like a a fruitful vine surrounding the house. Um, One commentator, uh, I think it was Spurgeon actually, as I was reading, he mentions that the picture of this is not vines growing up on the outsides of the walls, but in the old, Old Covenant kind of household system, it would be a vine traveling through each room. She's, in ev- she's everywhere. She's not just on the outside. She's in every room. She's growing around the whole thing. And her children, in, in verse 3, her children are like olive plants around the table, which would have been in the middle of the, of the house. So the wife is everywhere. She's working in every room. She's bearing fruit. Our wives are blessings that bear the fruit of children in marriage and... They bear the fruit of kindness, of thrift, of helpfulness, of affection. Right? Just because you don't have children doesn't mean you can't be faithful. As Calvin says, kindness, thrift, happiness, and affection come from that fruitful wife as well. The wife is everywhere in the house. She's in all the rooms, glorifying. She's tending and keeping like she was meant to do. And the children are found around the table of the house, surrounded by the glory-filled home. Working in the home, bringing about glory, the man's bride creates this house, and the children find rest, food, and instruction at the table. They're found at the table, and generations come after them. Then in verse 4, we see the, the thesis of our psalm reiterated. Right? It says, Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. And we have that word, thus. Right? This is an example of a blessed man. This is not the only way a man is blessed. If you're not married or don't have children, it does not mean you aren't blessed. This is a picture of domestic Christian blessing for those who are married and do have children. But it's also a picture of Jesus and His church. 
You cannot buy the blessings of Psalm 128. They come from the Lord. You cannot pick the right bride to make this happen. You can't, okay, well, this bride is going to be the woman that's going to make sure my house is all neat and ordered. That's not how it works. The blessing comes through the Lord. You cannot have tons of kids and make them sit still in your pew, and then all of a sudden you have the children that are mentioned in Psalm 128. That's not how this works. It comes from the blessing that the Lord gives. The Lord blesses those who fear Him and walk in His ways. And Jesus is the ultimate example of this, right? In verse 5 and 6, this is our benediction, if you will, in the, in, the, in the psalm. It comes from Zion to the blessed man's house. The Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yes, may you see the children's children. Peace be upon Israel. This is, this is a great blessing of rest in the finished work of Christ. You can picture an old man, an old blessed man, who sits down to see the grandchildren at peace in the land. This is the picture of what blessing looks like. Proverbs says, children's children are the crown of an old man. And so the blessed man puts on his crown and admires the peace upon God's people, upon his grandchildren and their children after them. Our children's children will be at peace in the land. They will see their wives fruitfully working in the home, their children eating at the table and tasting the glorious result of their labor, bringing about happiness and wellness and well-being. This is a picture of what we are all meant to see, regardless of our circumstances. And this is the tough truth I think we're going to spend some time on this morning. How is it that we, the people of God, sinners who kneel weekly to confess all the ways that we do not walk faithfully, will see these blessings, right? There's a sense in which none of us are walking as faithfully as we could, and none of us are fearing God like we should. So how do we receive the blessing of Psalm 128? We are sinners in need of Jesus' work on our behalf. The application of this psalm is better seen when we see Christ as the blessed man, when we look at the psalm, if we can see Christ as the blessed man and the church as his wife, we get a better picture of what this ultimate peace looks like. We need to rest in our bride status in order to understand what's going on here. We are the bride of the man who perfectly walked in the ways of the Lord, who perfectly feared God. We are in the house of that man, reaping the many blessings as his bride. We are fruitful because he feared God and walked in his ways. So how do we get these blessings? Well, we do so as the bride of Christ, as our children's children will see the blessings. We want to rest in Jesus' obedience, not in our own. There is no way for us to keep the law and be blessed, like this psalm says, apart from Jesus. The psalmist in the Old Covenant, they would be singing this as future. They're looking forward to the Messiah coming. We have faith like Abraham, and out of that faith comes obedience. We cannot work harder for the blessings of God to come to us. We need to be a child, if you would, in this psalm, or the wife to experience all the blessings that the psalmist lays out. And praise God for this truth, right? You are set free in Christ as sons of God. You are adopted sons and daughters, partaking in the work of Christ 
on your behalf. Galatians 4, 4 through 7 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So you are seated around his table, and as you are seated there, as his children, as sons, we find happiness, we find well-being, we find rest and food at his table, surrounded by our mother, the church, and all of your brothers and sisters. So we get the blessings of this psalm through Jesus' work, and this is particularly helpful to think about during the Lent season. Um, As we meditate on Jesus' trek towards Jerusalem, that's the season we're looking at Jesus' life headed toward his death, burial, and resurrection at Easter. We are blessed through his faithfulness during temptation, during his endurance. We We are blessed through his endurance during his trials and his sufferings on the cross. We can see what a man who fears God and walks in his ways looks like. Jesus received the result of his labor on earth in his vindication and his exaltation. He has authority over all things in heaven and on earth because of his faithfulness. Likewise, we are benefactors of that same blessing. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We are the children's children, seeing the blessings flow from the man's labor. Not Adam the man, but Jesus the man. We are taught to live as He lived, right, in the, old, in the New Covenant, and die as He died. We are to deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow Him. This is where the psalm is applicable to us as individuals, right? This is where we can see what, how we are to act, how we are to live generationally. Our generational faithfulness as disciples of Christ has generational consequences. Our faithfulness matters because we are partakers in the work of Christ, Because we are adopted sons and daughters, we must be faithful. We can apply this psalm individually. We can see the blessings that come to us who fear Him and walk in His ways. Right? Men and women without spouses can sing the psalm earnestly and in belief. Because they're part of that church picture. Couples without children. Couples who lost children. Couples with... Without moms or dads, men and women without moms or dads, can all sing this psalm and understand the implications of it. All Christians have brothers and sisters seated around them in church. All Christians have, have a father and have a mother in God and the church. This Christian life isn't a solo adventure with God guiding you. Right? You can read some of, some of these old uh, uh, Christian novels where it's just one guy... And he's just moving on towards holiness. This is not the Christian life. You and all the faithful are fighting, right? You're fighting behind a king that came before you. And as one family, you're to rid the earth of the old order, sin, death, and the devils. You are a soldier, an individual with responsibilities and a unique gifting. But you are not alone. God put you on differing orders for certain time periods, but your household of faith is surrounding you. You may seem that the blessings found in Psalm 128 are not part of your life. You might look around and be like, these blessings don't look like 
what my life looks like. You may not have a spouse. You may not have children. You may not have parents. Or you may have a wife who doesn't care about her home. Or children who don't rejoice at the table in thankfulness. But circumstances, our circumstances, don't alter the blessings. These blessings were secured in Christ's work on our behalf. They come with the faith. They are generational. Perfect faithfulness is what brings about peace in Jerusalem. And perfect faithfulness is what we have in Jesus. It comes from Jesus. The psalm points us to Jesus' faithfulness. It should also help us to see how the world works, right? The way, if you apply Jesus to the psalm, we should also be able to take that analogous to us as disciples of Jesus. It should also help us to see how this whole world works and us working in it. If Jesus sees the blessing for his faithfulness, and he did, and he does, and we are called to follow him as co-heirs with him, we too are called to fear God and walk in his ways as Christ did. We are also then to see the blessings of our faithfulness, although imperfectly in this world as well. Notice the psalmist says that success in life comes from God's blessing. And the way it gets to us is through our labor. We are not a people who sit and wait for the blessings of the Lord to arrive. And when we do, when we get to work, we get to eat and enjoy the fruit of our work. So we don't just sit and wait. We get out, we get to work, just like Christ did. And when we do that, we do see the blessings of that faithfulness. We can see, oftentimes we can see that happiness comes from the fear of God. This is what this psalmist says, right? The fear of God comes before your happiness. And this is not like a fear of a criminal breaking into your house but instead a reverence for an almighty God, a deference. Happiness comes from this type of fear and comes after your labors. And the blessing of well-being comes after your labors. So you can kind of look at this as a structure for Christian living, right? Fear the Lord, walk in His ways, get to work, and when you get to work comes happiness and well-being and the fruit of your labor. Happiness is a blessing from God. And domestic happiness, I think we can apply this too, domestic happiness is also a blessing from God. If you want a happy home, then you husbands need to fear God. Right? From that fear of God and faithful living comes a wife who is fruitful in the home and children growing around the tables. This might not happen in your lifetime, but it will happen generationally if you fear God and walk in His ways. Wives need to get to work in their home, glorifying what your husband brings home. Make a home that's a place where your husband and children find security, find rest, find food, find instruction, discipline, glorify and protect. Right? Sing the psalm as a family. Make it the mission statement of your house, knowing that Christ has secured these blessings for us in his labors. Tom Clark, Reverend Tom Clark, was a, a minister in our presbytery who, uh, until 2014, after battling cancer, um, their church website says that he graduated from the church militant to the church triumphant, which is one of my favorite uh, sayings of all time. But Tom Clark died of cancer pretty rapidly uh, in New Hampshire, and 
he was, uh, he was giving a talk, I don't know if it was a sermon or a talk, but he once said that as a child he was asked to draw a picture of where he wished he would be when he was old. And so he got his, you know, his pencil out and he drew this really great picture of him in a cabin in the woods with his dog. Right? He thought, this is what I want to do when I'm 80. I want to be with a dog in a cabin. This is picturesque to me. And he said, uh, he was, as he was battling cancer, he was looking through his house, through some things, and he came across this picture that he drew. And it struck him that this is where he wished he would be in 50 years. And then he examined where his life was at that particular moment. A man who's battling cancer, who's frail, in a city, not in a, not in a wood somewhere. In a house full of his wife and his children and a dog. Um, but he didn't draw the picture of where he was that day. He drew a picture of where he thought he would be. And then he thought, this is better. Right? I'd much rather be where I'm at today with cancer and my family surrounding me in the middle of the city because this is what a blessed man's life looks like. Right? I think that's an, an interesting picture where we, we sometimes see our circumstances as where we are in life and we don't see the big picture of what a blessed man's life actually looks like. The truth is, regardless of our suffering and our hardship, the truth is found in the work of Christ, His temptation, His suffering, His trials and death were all circumstances that Jesus walked through perfectly. And our lives are meant to model His life And if we walk through those circumstances as Christ did, we will find blessing because we're shared in the blessings of Christ. Our labors, the point of this series, our labors aren't in vain, not as a church and not individually. We have in Christ secured blessings for our children and our children after them. We reap the blessings He secured and see the blessings of a life following after Him. These blessings from faithfulness go to the generations behind us. And we must work and we must labor. We must not go to be alone in our picturesque cabin or wherever you imagine your life to be. But instead, we pick up our crosses in love for God and our neighbor. We glorify and we protect. This was our job in the garden, to tend and to keep. It's the same type of thing. And this is who we are. We build We make things better. We tend to our responsibilities, right? Men do this on a smaller scale often than women can do. And when we do this, we see blessings to the generations behind us. This is the promise of our God in Christ Jesus. So this morning your charge is this. Go be a faithful man like Jesus. Walk in His ways, and when you stumble, rest in your position as bride and as child in the household of faith. Praise God for your circumstances, your husband, your father, your mother, your brothers, and your sisters, and the children surrounding you. Praise God for them, for peace is truly upon Israel. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.